feature presentation. Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside. He's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved. Eric Marchin. Approved. <laughs> approved. Approved. Matt, are you ready to take a look around? I accept this mission. I do. Did you get I my Limbiscuit reference there? Oh, take a look around is from yeah, Mission Impossible Mission Impossible 2. Two. Yeah, yeah. Limp Biscuit. What a time! What a time! I loved Limp Biscuit. I don't know if everyone knows this, but I I can rap many Limp Biscuit songs from. It's Star just Fan. one of those days. If you go to karaoke with Matt, uh, he might do a Limp Biscuit song. But yes, today we are reviewing another part one in Christopher McQuarrie's Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. Probably one of the like best titles of a movie of all time i remember when this got announced i'm like just incredible um and it continues the trend lately um i mean i don't know when this trend even began i i, I guess i'm thinking like harry potter with the last one but that's not probably even the first part one and part two well there was um, kill bill volume one and two yeah. but that was something where it was paying homage to you know kung fu cinema specifically and and hong kong cinema where you know you look at Avengers Endgame and Infinity War or even the Hobbit movies, you know, the the, the one yeah. book being stretched this, out to three yeah. films or you mentioned Harry Potter. Um, but more this recently, is the third one this year, right? Yeah. We had Fast X part one. We had into or across the Spider-Verse uh, being a part one, even though not necessarily having part one in either of those titles. We had Dune uh, a couple of years back and we're getting Dune part two this year. So, All with Dune actors um, too, right? Like you have, right. you know, Dune one and two with Oscar Isaac, uh, you know, and uh, Jason Momoa and Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, Jason Momoa is in Fast X, which is going to be possibly two or three films, depending on what Vin Diesel says. Uh, and then you have Across the Spider-Verse with Oscar Isaac. And uh, Rebecca Ferguson in uh, Mission Impossible, uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1. It all comes full circle. Um, But yes, uh, this is going to be briefly spoiler-free, just to give our quick thoughts of what we thought about the movie. And then we're going to go straight into spoilers, since the movie is now playing um, everywhere. And they tried to get in. This caught me by surprise. (laughs) I'm like, the movie's already out. I thought it was this Friday, but it's in theaters. It started playing Monday night even. because I, Eric and I were talking off air before we started that we think they wanted to get into those premium formats before Oppenheimer and Barbie come out um, next week. Um, so let's get right into it. So Eric, this being Christopher McQuarrie's third Mission Impossible movie, the first one since the second that Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams had nothing to do with, which I think is interesting. We'll get into um, I'm going to kick it over to you first. What did you think of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1? I had a blast with it, Matt. I, I really enjoyed watching Tom Cruise do his thing, which is to perform death-defying stunts in such a spectacular format, and watching it on the big screen and how it plays out. I saw it in IMAX. You saw it in legitimate uh, IMAX, laser at the IMAX, Sco- yep. laser IMAX at the Scotiabank Theater. Um, I I think the third act specifically is where a lot of the action does take place and you're left on that kind of high um, that the adrenaline rush provides. And so with that going into this, I I think there is going to be a certain amount of disappointment when it comes to comparing it to something like Fallout, which 
this movie is a very different film to Fallout, where Fallout, I think, is just like a nonstop action movie. And even to the point of how it handles exposition on the run, um, it's literally integrated into the movement of the story and the progression of the story, where here there's more espionage and sort of build up until you get to that third act. Not that there isn't set pieces beforehand. There's a, a, a great one in Rome and, you know, there are fun kind of sequences that are back to fast X baby. <laughs> I know. And and I think we'll talk a lot of the ab- same steps. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think we'll talk a lot about that as well. Like there's even a sequence where cruises in the desert uh, in, in the Middle East at the beginning. And that very much looks like the sequence from John Wick, John Wick chapter four. So there's a lot of repetition there with recent action cinema, but also I think there's a lot of references to eighties and nineties practical effects and in-camera trickery and things like that. So, I mean, there's even a, a, a cheesy magic trick with with Tom Cruise and Haley Atwell's um sort of great sort of expert thief um in this airport and sort of like with this key that almost you know is symbolic of religion being a technology you know or technology being a religion and so you have those elements all coming into play and yeah it's just kind of more of a fun kind of action throwback it's not reinventing the wheel it's not maybe on the level of fallout which i think any action movie would be lucky enough to achieve in a franchise or just as an individual film but as 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 it is i think it is a very well made um action thriller that plays within the milieu of what you're expecting and it's very satisfying for those reasons and i actually do think that there is a bit of covert comedy um, on Christopher McQuarrie's part, which we'll get into more with the spoilers. But Matt, what do you think? I just jumping on your point, you have a really interesting kind of um, analysis of kind of the meta commentary on the movie that I thought was really interesting, which isn't something that I really clued into as I was watching it, but as I was talking to you after Um, So we'll save that for the spoiler section. So stick around for that because Eric had a really interesting perspective that I didn't, I guess I didn't see. And then I was kind of arguing back to you going like, I don't, I think you're reading into it more than maybe what is given to us. But then as the more I thought about it, I go, no, that probably is what they were kind of trying to do. So I can't wait to talk to you about that. I, um, this is tough because I, I still I tweeted this out that I'm like, it's amazing to me that the fifth best Mission Impossible movie can still be one of like the most enjoyable experiences I've had at the movies this year. Uh, so that's kind of a double edged sword where I I still had a really good time with this movie. Like when it ended, I was exhilarated. I was excited to see part two. Um, however, there was something about the vibes just being slightly off in this movie where I I can't and I'm I'm excited to go into full spoilers and talk about it all with you because then we can bring up certain specific things and 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 talk about stuff but um I found myself like thinking that this is the weakest of the Christopher McQuarrie uh trilogy of Mission Impossible movies and that might come with it being a part 1 and you know we've talked about this with Dune and Spider-Verse and Fast X that you're kind of only seeing half the movie and some feel more complete than others and this does feel like a pretty complete at least story for the most part of you know there's a MacGuffin and that's 
the part of the first half and then the MacGuffin's going to be used in the second half, right? That's not a spoiler. That's just, you know, what <laughs> this movie is. It feels pretty complete in, in that side of things. But there was something about the spectacle of it all that I've come to love from three onward. And three being what I, going back to Fast and Furious, feels like the Fast Five of the franchise. The thing that kind of, even though we've only, one is still a great movie, two fumbled quite a bit. I mean. Take a look uh, around, man. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it fumbled. It's still an interesting movie uh, because of, you know, John Woo and, and things like that. But it's not a, a great movie. It could have easily killed the franchise. And then you have someone like J.J. Abrams come in and kind of, uh, I think set off what modern Mission Impossible is. It is still a bit on a smaller scale than maybe what four, five, six all become and 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 uh, onward. But I I really love three because I was a big J.J. Abrams guy at the time because of Lost and it was his I think feature debut right yep. like his uh, and then uh, Michael Giacchino's score and and just kind of. Uh, that movie with Philip Seymour Hoffman being an excellent kind of, you know, chewing up the scenery villain in that movie, I think is amazing. And so I have a soft spot for three. And then Brad, what I loved about the mission impossible movies was that you kind of got a different flavor on each movie, right? Like because of the director, right? Yes. And that's what I loved about the franchise was that, you know, one feels completely different than two and two feels completely different than three and three feels completely different than four and five you know, until McQuarrie kind of takes over. And I love Christopher McQuarrie. I think he's done an amazing job with these movies, but I found myself now his third outing and I just felt like he, he couldn't one up himself anymore. Right? Like I felt like rogue nation was awesome because it was different than ghost protocol, which was Brad Bird's movie. And then you had fallout, which felt like this perfect kind of epilogue to you know to uh his movie that and it just built on that with bringing back the villain and just being this exhilarating incredible stunt sequences and like the crazy you know you have the bathroom fight you have the skydiving scene you have the helicopter sequence and i just found myself now in this one um going i enjoyed it it almost felt like it was trying to to your point of bringing up 80s and 90s movies and spy movies and things like that like it almost felt like it was trying to be the first movie again like it it it's still big and on a giant scale but i think it is still toned down a little bit when it comes to the big action set pieces and stunts and things like that like there was never once where i was like holy shit like this is exhilarating like or like you felt in like tom cruise was in danger or anything like that even the big Again, not a spoiler because everyone probably seen this a million times. We'll get into spoilers in a sec, but that jump that they've been, you know, off the cliff that they've been promoting for a year now just never felt like it was that crazy. And like I, I was engaged the whole time. I thought it was silly. I thought it was like Mission Impossible by the way of Metal Gear. <laughs> and like it had some <laughs> like so a lot of Kojima Metal Gear stuff in it, which is interesting because Kojima takes a lot from spy movies and things like that. So it's this weird like he took from spy movies. Now you, this feels like Metal Gear with the villain and well, even the title, I, right? I like that is a is like a video game a Metal title. Gear ass title. Yeah, yeah, like it definitely is. You can see Metal Gear Solid Dead Reckoning. Like it's it fits right there, right? So like there is a lot to really like in the movie, but and I still found myself like enjoying it throughout. And I still would take this over most action movies and most 
action franchises. And I think it's just a testament to how much I really love this franchise that I can be slightly disappointed with this movie, but still really like it. And, and for what it is and being a part one of two, like, again, maybe I'll rejudge it after I see part two and view it as a six hour movie, right. Or something like that. Like, you know, movies keep getting longer and longer to the point where a three hour movie is only half of a movie now. Right. And it's just, um, that can get exhausting. And at times this movie does feel exhausting, but I just never felt that sense of like, I don't know, wonder or exhilaration or however you want to put it that I had in both Rogue Nation and and Fallout. Like I I like Haley Atwell. I think she's a great addition. Um, I, I this is the most I've maybe ever liked her in something and I thought she holds her own. But like but to that point, when you introduce someone new, some people take a back seat, right? Like I felt Rebecca Ferguson was was kind of underutilized in the movie. And I think the villain in the movie or the henchman of the villain who is the villain. We'll get into that in a sec. Uh, it's kind of boring. <laughs> it, it, he, I don't know. He's just kind of nothing. And I didn't really, and I thought it was a weird choice how they handled his backstory, which we'll get into too. Well, that's also long, just to cut you out there just for a second. Yeah. That's also going to be interesting to discuss based on what the original casting was too. I yes, think. I know. So let's anyways, I slightly disappointed but still really liked it. So I, I will give our ratings. Now I'm going to give the movie a four out of five. I still think it's like really enjoyable. And I think if you like this franchise, you'll like this movie. You might be a little bit more on my side of going like, okay, I didn't like it as much as, as the, uh, the last two McQuarrie movies. And to me, I like ghost protocol and three even better than this one. Um, but that's, all so close. Like those are all four star and above movies to me. So they're four, four and a half or five, all of those movies to me. Um, so this is one of my favorite action franchises and it's just fun. Like the spy stuff in this movie is fun. Um, it's silly. Like you said, like it's, I think intentionally funny at times. And then the, it's commentary can be kind of campy and, 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 you know, in your face and, and, and or taking off your face. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So like, I still had a really good time, uh, seeing Henry Cerny come back and like, um, you know, other, other things like that. I really do think they were trying to invoke some vibes of that first movie, the Dutch angles, Eric. Oh yeah. The, the kind of (laughs) in-camera tricks that you're mentioning. Like, I really do feel like they were like, all right, let's bring this back to the first movie a little bit, but we're going to bring these very modern, uh, topical things and and kind of make this weird mis- mishmash of a of an old school mission possible movie with the modern stuff and it didn't all work for me but still had a great time so four to five for me yeah you know what <clears throat> there's something as well that you touched on that i quickly want to mention as well and you know we were talking about and you brought it up originally so um you know the idea of of films extending their their shelf life with multiple sequels that are part ones you you're seeing this i think specifically because of the marvel output with infinity war and um endgame and it's that it's that televisual thing you know television is trying to be more like film and film now is trying to be more like uh, television where, you know, you're, you're, you're blurring. Yeah. You're blurring those lines together. And even just, I think it's interesting just of the casting of Haley Atwell and Palm Clementif and even Henry Cavill in the last movie where you have three actors that are known 
before this for superhero franchises coming into this kind of film and being used in a way that is still familiar to audiences in an action milieu, but at the same time, I think gives them a lot more to do um, just in terms of their physicality, but also even in their presence that makes them more memorable. Palm Clementine doesn't have a lot to say dialogue dialogue wise, but she is a very strong presence. Yeah. In she reminds certain- me of Dave Bautista in um Spectre. Uh, Spectre. But that's yeah. but that's like the classic Bond thing as well, where that's like what I mean. the yeah. Bond henchman sometimes is even better than the actual villain. And so yeah, I think she's better than this villain. Right? Like- I don't disagree with you, although I really do like Isai Morales as an actor. And I think there's an interesting thing going on there that we'll get into more in spoilers. Um, but yeah, when you're watching this, I think you're just kind of enjoying it as, as it is. And like that comparison, and I think we should do maybe some rankings in, in the spoilers. Um, but I think that that, that's an interesting aspect to, to consider as well. You're comparing this movie against the other films, but you're also comparing it to the landscape of blockbuster cinema, especially what's going on right now. There are elements in this movie that feel like we've come across before with talking about Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny or transformers, uh, and oh, yeah. uh, the rise of the, the beast. double-sided MacGuffin is definitely exactly the connecting, summer of the double. <laughs> connecting two things. But in order to do so, you have to go globe trotting across the world in order to get to the other piece and fill the movie with maybe unnecessary exposition that have a is double convoluted combo with a hash brown. And a <laughs> that would be coffee. incredible. <laughs> they, they should do that. Um, so I think like there are elements there where like you're even just comparing it to what we've recently gotten in the live action format. I think the yeah. best summer movie so far that we have is Across the Spider-Verse. The best live action blockbuster um is Mission Impossible. But but again, like it's it's one of those things I really like I'm I'm just this is a long-winded thing. I'm giving it the same rating that you did, but I really did like it's, the movie. That, and that's what's interesting, right? Because yeah. like I'm slightly disappointed but gave it a four and you really liked it and gave it a four. So but like, it's not John Wick chapter four where like as soon as I finished watching that movie the first time, I was like, yeah, I need to see this again. You know, which is so interesting because I didn't have that reaction to John Wick. I came at it much later, right? Because of my panic attack in the middle of the movie the first time, and that's a long story. I'll eventually get to that on on when we get back to the main show. But I didn't have that reaction. Like I like this more than John Wick, but I also gave John Wick Chapter Four a four. So like it's, but you like past John Wick movies, I think yeah. though as well a little bit more, right? Where I have been on kind of the mixed negative. Um, on that franchise until this movie where I felt like everything that I was looking for in, in in a John Wick movie in the same way that, you know, there were things I look for in a Mission Impossible film came together in a way that was the perfect representation of what the filmmakers were trying to do all along and they got it perfectly yeah. right. And also just like, again, like talking about similarities in recent blockbusters, the third act of John Wick chapter four is the strongest aspect of it with sure. even the video game component of the oh, hotline yeah. Miami stuff coming in hey, into question, keep bringing up video games. And you said they're taking blockbusters are taking from television. And I mean, ironically, this is based off of a TV show, so we shouldn't be yeah. too surprised. Um, but 
taking from video games as well and video games ironically becoming more cinematic right so it's just like this weird kind of mishmash of all this hashtag content um now all kind of being this kind of all taking from each other and and all feeling like one another it becomes kind of um difficult to differentiate i don't know what i'm trying to say but like i find myself watching a lot it blurs the line right blurs the lines yeah between it yeah um so yeah so we both give the the movie a four um please stick around we're going to do a spoiler cast in three two one all right, let's get right into spoilers. I don't Han know Solo dies. <laughs> God damn it. That'll be every time we do a spoiler cast. Um, I don't know where you want to sp- start. We can kind of go through, but we can elaborate on certain things. Yeah. Um, I want to kick it off with maybe what you said and, and going over what you thought some of the themes of the movie and, and what they were trying to say. So, okay, now that we're in spoilers, the villain is called The Entity. It is an AI. I don't even know if that's a spoiler. It's not really, really. It's been talked about really, in reviews and things yeah, like that. Yeah, and I don't so. think in the trailers they really kind of allude to that. They show you more the the human element to it with um, Gabriel. Uh, yeah. Gabriel. <laughs> Justice for Gabriel again. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, here's the thing the ai thing super silly but very topical right with everything that's going on with ai and chat gpt and ai art and all this kind of stuff right now so they're definitely uh, you know had their you know thinking three steps ahead because making this movie a couple years ago but i mean ai and you know has been a thing forever in movies as being like a a, a thing that might uh, destroy us all one day, right? Well, so like the Terminator movies, right? Like James yeah, Cameron exactly. was looking at that with Skynet. Like it's it's something that that audiences, even though technology is always updating and, and getting faster and faster, it is something that I think people have been self aware with. You know, even going further back to you know films in the seventies and like the Colossus Project and things like that. So it's it's always been there, but I think even more recently, as you mentioned, with like the current climate of even looking at the the writers strike and how some studio executives and people feel like oh well, we can just replace writers with ai robots and they can you know write a script or come together and and put something together and everything's dictated by algorithms or yeah. algae rhythm in space jam legacy so and even to your point of just blockbuster cinema in general feeling like it's the same same each movie right it's following following a formula an algorithm that goes this is what people want out of um you know out of blockbuster action kind of cinema whether superhero movies or otherwise where it does feel like you know this movie shooting a lot of stuff practically not everything there's obviously some cg in the movie the whole train sequence at the end and stuff like that but um you just you brought up an interesting point of this movie with its kind of references to those movies from the 80s and 90s and before um, and kind of how it tackles AI and, and Tom Cruise's stance on, you know, it's the cinema and the state of cinema and, and that wanting to do all this stuff practically and his own stunts and, and, and all this stuff and that AI and, and computer generated stuff is kind of going to be the death of cinema and using that as a villain in this movie i think is kind of interesting it's something that i didn't really latch on to while watching it though so i don't know if you want to go into that a little bit more yeah it's 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 that classic thing of man versus machine or as in my rogers review i mentioned it's man versus stunt man versus machine in a way and it's like one against you know the 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 impossible and and going against something that can predict 
you know, three or four steps ahead of you, what is going to happen. And the, the logic of like, Oh, is the individual, um, you know, able to compete against something that is programmed. And when you're watching, like even the opening scene, you, you, you know, dead reckoning is referencing, you know, this submersed, uh, submarine. And when you're watching that sequence, one of the first things you'll notice is that the language uh, translation goes from Russian to English in the same way that the hunt for the for the Red October does. And Christopher McQuarrie did and that Avatar even Avatar Two, the way Avatar. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, but even even in um, Valkyrie, which Christopher McQuarrie is a writer on, you know, when you see did the beginning, or- yeah, you, at the beginning of that movie, you see Tom Cruise's character writing in German and speaking in German, but then the text changes into English. So it's, yeah. it's a quick way of kind of, and it's a very clever conceit to get, you know, that, that language barrier to flip into English from another language. And so when you're watching that, you're thinking to yourself, Oh, okay. Like, you know, also the Jack Ryan series is a very classic, you know, eighties, nineties, muscular cinema, macho kind of thing with, you know, that first movie with Sean Connery and Alec Baldwin. So there's that. And then you do even start noticing that, oh, they are implementing more of the, you know, the canted Dutch angles. And it it works quite well for a sequence like that, because I think, you know, when you're kind of playing with the laws of, of physics and gravity in a submersible, you know, you can kind of use that in an interesting way. And so as that progresses, you start to see, oh, okay, well, there's a, there is a reference there. Cause I mean, Macquarie is a pretty smart filmmaker. He knows what he's talking about. And then when we're first introduced to Kittredge p- played by Henry Cherney in, you know, the, the, the first time we physically see him and he's with the community, which I really like the idea of that as well. Like I'm going to the bathroom, a, keep a talking. group of people, kind of working together to um, put down uh, one person and that conspiracy theory kind of play. It it has a similarity to something like the X-Files where, you know, Mulder is against his own organization that's hiring him or, or telling him, you know, to work this way and not to really look into anything. And it, again, you know, one against the, 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 the impossible odds. And then even within that scene, when, it's revealed that that you know Ethan is in the room with the community watching and he basically knocks out everybody with 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 uh gas um not his gas but like the actual like knockout gas like that scene plays very much like Batman 89 where you have the Joker coming into the art gallery and knocking out everybody or killing everybody with his poisonous gas, but then also giving Vicky Vale um, a, a, gas a gas mask in the way that Kittredge is given that. And then that conversation and where that goes. It's a cool ass scene though. Like that's the stuff that did remind me of metal gear again. Like of like, yeah, cool design of the gas mask, cool design of, I didn't expect that to be uh, Ethan in like another mask thing, which you should at this point think everyone's in a mask or something. But we all wear masks, um, metaphorically speaking, um, yeah, and literally. Uh, Yeah, and then throughout the movie, like you, you you know, we we talked about this in 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 the spoiler free part where you know I think the whole last act is referencing the first Mission Impossible movie as well being on the train and even having uh, Vanessa Kirby. 
as the daughter, daughter of Max, played yeah. by you know uh, Vanessa Redgrave, coming in and having a conversation on the train, but not with Ethan this time around, but with with Kittredge. I think like that's kind of interesting as well, and even. You know, even the, bringing him back is, a, I mean, a yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah it's, it is a direct nod and, and he's great in the movie. Like I really do uh, think check out Eric's interview with, him. with Henry journey. It's, it's three and a half minutes long, but uh, it was a lot of fun talking to him. But um, y- you, you know, you watch a scene like that play out in that, in that gas mask scene. And then you start to realize, okay, they are referencing certain aspects. And then there's this whole party sequence in Rome where the reveal that the entity is among them um, and the entity actually, I actually like the music cue from Lauren Balfe for the entity quite a bit. Mm. Lauren Balfe's great, man. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what I think is also interesting there is the way that the entity looks as like an eye and mm. it's blue is the, the same way that Sauron, the, yeah. the, in Lord of the Rings is presented and Saruman is the extension, the physical extension huh, huh. of Sauron doing the groundwork, the dirty work Dropping for him. Lord of the Rings reference. So Mr. Possible, love it. Esai Morales is almost Christopher Lee in yeah. this story. You know, he's he's the one that's kind of doing the work for him. And while I don't know if it's necessarily a great performance, what I do like about his delivery of his dialogue is it does kind of have that arch stilted kind of mannerism of like how a computer might talk. So it's almost mm-hmm. like he's being possessed by the computer and is yeah. a physical, a physical manifestation. If, if Ethan is the living, you know, manifestation, <laughs> manifestation of, of, of destiny, destiny he's yeah. the living manifestation of chaos through the computer, yeah. you know, the ghost in the machine. Some might say robotic and kind of boring, but <laughs> yeah, but I think that like, that's even an interesting conversation to have is that, Isai Morales was originally like he was brought in after the fact because it was Nicholas Holt that was going to be yeah. that performance. And so that here's the thing. Had to can I jump in? Yeah, 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 please, please. Can, can I jump in? Yes. I feel like another reason why I don't love Gabriel as the villain is because I, I was saying this to Nevis after our screening. Nevis didn't really like this movie. She thought it was kind of boring until the last act, which is surprising. She really loves these movies as well. Um, she's been the most against this movie. I've talked to anyone about. Um, she's raging against the machine the way um, Ethan is. But something we both said about Gabriel is like the whole backstory of being a ghost from Ethan's past kind of thing and showing this kind of de-aged old footage, but like always felt strange. And I think that's what we're going to bring up when we're talking about the Nicholas Holt thing because the age stuff wouldn't add up. They'd have to kind of change that because he's too young to be someone from his past 30 years ago or whatever, unless there's a baby. (laughs) just. (laughs) Baby um, murder? Yeah. He's like, I don't <laughs> Nicholas Holt's gotta be around our age. So he's probably like five years old at the time, like the 30-year flashback. But that part, like to me, I'm like, why wouldn't you have they brought back Henry Cherney? They they're kind of bringing back or like paying homage to the first film and stuff. I would have preferred that character to be actually someone we've seen before. Cause like all of that kind of stuff just feels like I don't care as much. Right. When they're going, Oh, it's a ghost from your past. It's like, I don't know who the fuck this guy is. Like, he's like, Oh, he, he just wants pain. He doesn't care about killing you. He just wants you to suffer. And I'm like, I don't know if I believe that either. I'm like, I, I, I don't see that through this movie and this history that you have with Ethan. Like I would argue one way. Okay. Like, that's just kind of how these movies are. Sometimes you introduce a new character that has a backstory that Ethan knew in his past or something like that, which is like even the retcon of Vanessa Kirby's character being the daughter of Max and, and stuff like that. And like, um, 
I guess not even a retcon because that would happen. Would she have been born before or after? Probably before. So anyways, that is a retcon a little bit. But like, you know what I mean by like almost flashing back to scenes that looked like they should be taking place in the first movie that like I I just wish it was someone from Ethan's past that we knew about. And that just took away from him a little bit more with that backstory to me. And then going to the Nicholas Holt thing, like I would have actually like, I like Nicholas Holt as an actor and I would have been interested in him in this and nothing against this guy. Um, but I, it would have been interesting because I would have liked to see how they would have changed that. So yeah, I just don't think it would have fit though, but I don't know what they would have done. Well, that's also the other thing that I think is interesting in the casting of Isai Morales is that, you know, this doesn't change the movie. And I do agree with you where, like, I think it would have been better if they somehow brought back John Void or um, Emilio Estevez survived survived the the, the elevator death. I don't know. Maybe not Emilio, (laughs) but like. um, But yeah, like somebody that that, that has been in the franchise. But imagine Emilio Estevez with like half his face caved in or something, right? Like he got stabbed by the elevator. Or he's wearing a hockey mask, a Mighty Ducks (laughs) hockey mask. But, But with Morales, I I think there is something there going to my theory about like an homage to 80s action movies and 80s cinema and, and, and that practical way of doing things. Morales has been around since the early 80s. He kind of came up at the same time as Sean Penn. They were both in a movie called Bad Boys, not to be confused with the Brockheimer, Will Smith, Martin Lawrence movie, but um, um, a a juvenile uh, delinquent in prison film with Sean Penn. And, Penn was the one that kind of broke out in that movie and Morales, even though his performance is praised and he's done a lot of stuff. Like you look at his career, he's been consistently working since the eighties and, and um, mostly doing TV and guest spots and things like that. But he's done a lot of, you know, he's worked with Stuart Gordon and people like that, but it kind of makes sense because it does feel like, Oh, like Cruz kind of came into prominence also in the eighties and, and rose to the ranks of movie star with, with, Top Gun, so in risky business, but it, it it makes sense on just in terms of like an age thing. But it's also really yeah. fascinating to think like he was also Morales was also recently in um, Paul Schrader's Master Gardener, and he plays um, sort of the handler for uh, Joel Edgerton's character in that. And there are also flashbacks in that movie to when he's younger. Um, dealing with Edgerton's Proud Boy character. And so I thought that was kind of just interesting and not, a, a you know, it doesn't matter to the movie, but just as almost like a, you know, trivial kind of factoid yeah. that kind of comes afterwards. But yeah, when you're watching these sequences, it becomes almost noticeable that Macquarie is having fun, not only with the dialogue. There is some jokes that I think work with like what the organization is, you know, what a, what an IMF agent is. And like the reference is like, Oh, is it a bank or something like that? And it's like, no, it's the other one. Uh, um, The impossible mission force. Yeah. And so like those are fun. But then when you, when you see that sequence of the big reveal that at that party where, you know, everything is in a canted angle at that point. And, and, you know, the, the entity is in the room with you. I think there is kind of a self-aware metatextual humor involved. I don't know if Tom Cruise is in on the joke, but Macquarie does have a satirical cynical flavor to his writing. And even in, you know, the way of the gun, you know, the opening sequence is this violent kind of 
um, absurdist fight sequence between Ryan Philippe and Bruce, or Bruce, uh, Benicio del Toro and um, this kind of macho guy who kind of oversteps his line. Um, and Sarah Silverman's in that scene as well in, in one of her first movies. So like, just like, there, there, there. I think there is intent there. I, I don't know how much there is, but I think there is references to cinema's past and saying, like, look how much better this is when done right. by people in camera working together on something. And even the name Gabriel, you know, being biblical or religious and the angel serving a god and this god being the god of technology. And again, the MacGuffin being a crossed you know, to bear for people to bear whoever holds it, you know, those things I think are intentional. And with that, like, I think it makes you appreciate this movie a little bit more and just the, the writing and direction than maybe just a simple action movie, but fallout is Macquarie's pinnacle. And I don't think he or anybody will be able to reach that height. And I think I get, I totally understand where you're coming from with that analysis of the movie. And I thought it was kind of an interesting take because I, I guess I'm going into mission impossible movies. Not for that. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, no, I, I get you're not, going I'm in for looking, fun. Yeah. yeah. And, and the spectacle, right. Yeah. And like the goofiness and the fun and like the, the crazy ass stunts where I go, Oh my God, he did jump out of that fucking plane and his suit looks <laughs> awesome. And then like, or he is fucking flying that helicopter or he is climbing on the side of the Burj Khalifa or he did hold his breath for seven minutes or whatever, or he did. And those are the moments that I'm remembering from these movies, right? Is like the crazy spectacle of it all. And that's not to say that, yeah, okay, there can't be meta commentary or social commentary or, or nods to old movies. And it, it seems like, you know, it, it's intentional that they wanted to make a different movie than the last two, right? They wanted to make something maybe more akin to the first one. And that's fine. But maybe it's like how my brain was trained at this point. And again, I'm sounding like I'm more negative on the movie than I am, but I'm just kind of playing devil. No, you're, you're being well. critical of but something like, that you genuinely like but i think like that's that's a good thing because again you can be positive about something that you don't like and you can be negative about something that you do yeah and i go in for the fun and the spectacle and i i like the goofiness of the villain it does feel very kojima like you know the ai is taking over the world it's in it's in the government and it's gonna yeah all of that is cool there's eye patches there's green gas there's all this kind of stuff that looks cool but then like it, it was shrouded with a lot of like a lot of exposition and and I felt a little clunky dialogue in the sense of like overly trying, I don't know, explaining what's trying to happen or why this AI is so bad. And like the spy craft of it all can be fun, but then it can kind of be like a lot at times. And then like, again, I think back at the other mission impossible movies of the plots and I'm like, okay, it's usually like this nuclear bomb might blow up the world, right? And you got to stop it. And that's pretty much the extent of it. Um, or you save someone you love, your friends, your wife, whoever, you know, as they went on. But it's something about this AI. And I guess it's something, yeah, we've seen in Terminator. I mean, even going back to Fast and Furious, wasn't this the plot of Hobbs and Shaw as well? Well, yeah. Like, and and I mean, the biggest like, duh that I can't believe like, I didn't mention was Hal yeah. from 2001. Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. So, you know, it's been a, a trope in, in, in movies for, for a very, very, very long time. So I guess it maybe wasn't, I guess because it's more topical because of what's going on with AI right now, it feels more relevant and feels very of today. 
Um, but then sometimes the dialogue would be goofy or silly in the sense of like the way that they talk about it, it never like hit as hard as I like if they wanted those that meta commentary to come through. I, I I don't know if I ever took it seriously enough or maybe that or I wasn't I was looking for fun and then they were trying to give me something else. And maybe on a rewatch, I would appreciate that a little bit more. But I go back to like the big set pieces to kind of transition into something else where I, I brought up already five or six from other movies that were very memorable to me where in this movie, uh, the big one we can talk about first is that sequence where Ethan drives his motorbike off the cliff and parachutes into the train. Um, and they overshowed us in all of the marketing and maybe that's our fault because part of our job is to pay attention to you know, trailers and production stuff. And like, but I feel like that was shoved down our throat so much of being like, look at this crazy fucking stunt that Tom Cruise did for this movie. And I'm like, is that any crazier than some of the other things he's done? Like he hung off the side of a goddamn airplane as it took off and landed. He's, he's climbed the Burj Khalifa. He, he jumped out of a, a, an airplane free dove off of it. He's where it just never felt like that impressive. And that's, crazy to say because it's still insane and it's still he's doing it uh but like it felt all underwhelming and i know they've talked about where they, that was the first thing they shot on the movie and they're like in case i died i wanted it to be the thing <laughs> they could have like which is funny God. and he's he is an insane person and i appreciate how insane he is and the commitment to doing everything himself but they did also talk about being like when we shot that we didn't know what it was going to be in the movie. Like we just shot it and we, we were like, well, how do we get there? And we'll, we'll figure that part out. It feels like that when I'm watching it, like it felt like they didn't know what they wanted that stunt to be, but they needed this big thing to be in the movie. And it just didn't feel like it held up and I should judge the movie on its own. And I said, it's an enjoyable movie, but when it's part of a franchise that has all these iconic moments and you go for the spectacle and you go for Tom Cruise doing crazy stunts, like I am going to compare it to what I liked in the other movies or what is memorable to me. And that stunt is just not going to be that. And then when you go back to the other action sequences, they're entertaining and engaging. Like I said, like the airport sequence, when you find out Haley Atwell's like master, uh, thief is kind of going through and it's an introduction to her character. And, you know, I always like Ethan kind of tracking someone and running and getting away from people like all that spy stuff is fun. But in the end, I don't know if I'm going to remember that when it comes to the bathroom sequence and fallout and which I'll keep referencing is incredible. And some of the, those action sequences, like I think coming off of fast X, which you have an unhinged Jason Moa going through Rome and, and driving a giant like Looney Tunes ass uh, fucking ball through the streets of Rome uh, bomb. <laughs> the Oppenheimer um, and then, bomb. <laughs> and then you have kind of a Looney Tunes ask kind of sequence in this with this with this Fiat. Um, it's just in the exact same kind of thing with cars driving down the steps in Rome and in the same places and stuff like that. And that's just unfortunate timing they both scripted a scene in rome it's a beautiful city and it's an awesome place to drive cars down amazing historic steps and stuff like that but like i just saw it done in fast x and fast x was that over the top kind of ridiculousness where i just felt underwhelmed again by that in this and i didn't feel like the comedy really worked in that sequence like the intentional comedy in that yeah. in that sequence just never really clicked for me 
Um, what else do I want to talk about? Like there were cool things. Like I love. Can I Rebecca. jump on something that you yeah, mentioned? Please Cause, do. Cause yeah, I yeah. think like it's important to talk about At the stunts, the, the, the stunts are, 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 you know, the showcase of these movies. And I don't disagree with you in the way that we were talking before about like if you're looking at that Norwegian, you know, uh, motorbike jump, yeah. I, I think it is disappointing in the sense when you look at it in the picture of the of the ranking of these movies within the franchise itself. But when you're looking at it from the perspective of it being an action movie, I oh, think totally. it is very satisfying because I've been listening to the video archives, Quentin Tarantino, Roger Avery podcast recently, and they were talking about with Moonraker. Moonraker is not a great movie, but the thing that you miss about a lot of these movies is that it is an actual physical person doing these stunts instead of driving a, a C- motorbike off a cliff. Right? Yeah, instead, instead of, of a, a CGI ropes on or uh, strings on him with a green screen in the yeah or a cgi body falling you know That's like true too, yeah. and 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 i think like I, I i do agree with you where you know structurally macquarie is one of those individuals who he's talked about it with fallout where he, they'll find an interesting location and then they'll write something around the location you know, and then they'll, which I'm fine for. And that's what the mission impossible movies have always kind of done. Like even Brian De Palma talked about how they would create a scene or a stunt first and then write the movie or the the rest of the sequence around it. So I think where the one sort of intentional comedic beat works really well, that is intentional in that sequence is when Cruz interrupts or crashes into the cart, into the train. Ridiculous. That is amazing. That is a very funny beat. But I also agree with you where the stuff in Rome, even though it's impressive to see, you know, each actor drive, you know, with one hand handcuffed to the other person, that is, that is great. And I think it, again, is mostly all practical effects. So you, you feel like you are in the moment with these people where watching a CGI bomb roll down the streets isn't as you're taken out of it because of the artifice, but you do feel that kind of similarity of having just watched fast X and you're kind of like, uh, maybe I would appreciate this more if I just hadn't seen this and maybe I will appreciate it more after watching part two, you know, and, and looking at it as a whole picture of what they're doing. And I think another aspect of kind of being underwhelmed by that stunt that they're selling is because of the delay. I think, you know, and that's nobody's fault. It's just the pandemic was happening and, you know, like two years ago, almost right. Yeah. And so we've had that image in our head and and we're thinking we're hyping it up. So we're building it in our own minds. It's like, okay, well, if they're, they're showing us this now, this must be, like you're waiting the whole movie for it to happen, yeah. right? And then when it happens, you go, "Oh, okay, <laughs> like, exactly." And like, like, and it's still very impressive. I agree with you. Like, I'm never, I'm never gonna do that. I would never even dream of doing that. I would, in my nightmares, wouldn't do that. Like, I just, I, I, so I appreciate the commitment. Like I said, it's just in a franchise that has so many amazing stunts and moments. When this movie builds up to like everything before that, the airport sequence, the. uh the desert sequence, the Rome sequence, um, you know, the bridge sequence uh, where they kill off Rebecca Ferguson and like spoiler, um, <laughs> I mean, we're in the spoiler. I know. Man. Um, so like, and that's what I want to talk about next. Um, but it, it just felt a little underwhelming. However, before we move on to Rebecca Ferguson and other things, I will say the last act, even though it obviously isn't 
practical in a sense. I'm sure it is a little bit, but with the train sequence, right? Um, being an homage to the first movie, but then that sequence, which is very silly, but is still very uh, thrilling and engaging is when they're trying to jump from train car to train car as it's kind of going over the cliff. Like that is a really good sequence. And that whole last act on the train, I think is awesome. And I think it's executed very, very well. And even if it's the most quote unquote fake like I think they were on a train on the top for a lot of that, but yeah. Um, but when it comes to them climbing and running and jumping, I'm sure that's all done in a studio or something like that. Who knows? But uh, um, I don't know exactly. Um, but I really like that last that last act on the train. So I will say, like that was thrilling to me, and that was unexpected, I guess, where the I was waiting for the cliff jump on the dirt bike, but. Um, the train sequence, I, I guess, because I hadn't seen much from that, that was kind of um, exhilarating to me. So uh, I will say before, do you have anything on the, the last act there or the action sequences? Yeah, I just want to quickly mention another reference. I think it, that there is some intention there, or, or maybe there isn't, but you can kind of put some sort of reference to is the Shea Wiggum character kind of being the one who's chasing uh, Ethan down. And that is very similar to also a fast and furious. Reference. Well, he's in the fast no, movies, I, right? That's what I was saying. I was like, I'm you joking, know, but, but, but yeah. also he's very much like Tommy Lee Jones in the fugitive af- chasing yeah. after Harrison Ford, where at the beginning of it, it's just his job to do this and, and, catch this guy and bring him in but then as the story progresses he he's, his side. he's a little bit more conflicted especially in that final sequence where he realizes okay well i need to let this guy go because he's got a job to do or he's not you know as he's been betrayed by you know uh the higher ups and shay wiggum is amazing in this movie every time like there's one look in, wiggum, yeah. in, in particular and he's having a great summer as well with, with the Spider-verse. summer of shay man the yeah. summer of shay yeah. Uh, um, no, no shade on Shay. He's, he's, he's wonderful and, um, great hair in this too. Uh, but there's one look when like Cruz is escaping via parachute at the end and, and he's like outside of the cart and he kind of gives this look where he's like, what and it's, just, it's amazing. It's, he's, yeah, yeah. he's so much fun in, in everything he's in. Um, yeah, and such an interesting year for him because of, of even with Eileen as well, you know, uh, with Anne Hathaway, oh, yeah. but, um, which he's good in that as well. Yeah. Solid, solid character actor, always good. So yeah, like, totally. I think like that is another reference to like Andrew Davis as, as an action filmmaker, you know, like totally. th- I think that there's a lot going on there and and i think going into the conversation that we're going to have next is really important not just because of rebecca ferguson dying but i think we should also talk about the relationship women have to ethan hunt in these movies i i think that that's where my biggest negative lies because you have these very progressive you know um independent complex female roles but they're only that way until they need to either be saved or in the debt of Ethan Hunt in some way or another. You're not wrong. I definitely understand that. Quickly before we get to that, Carrie Elways. There's something about this guy. <laughs> like <laughs> I love Carrie Elways sometimes. Uh, Dr. Lawrence Gordon in the Saw movies. Uh, God bless him. Um, but you can tell that this man acted in a Saw movie. And like I just like there's and Carrie Elways cinema legend almost but um i just found that as 
we get later into Carrie Elwes's career, every time I see him, I'm like, there's something off about your delivery. And it's always this, you want like it. I, I don't even know how to say it perfectly, but I did not find Carrie Elwes good in this movie. And um, I'm finding more and more often that whenever I see him in something, I'm like, I don't know if you're a great actor, man. No, he's very um, good and, and well cast in The Princess Bride. Yeah. And like as and Wesley, I think that's he's why like I think he he care, his whole I'm like, he'll be a cinema legend just for Princess Bride. But I'm yeah. like, I don't know of anything after I, that. I think we can sum it Twister. up best. We could, yo, God, Twister. He gets killed horribly in that movie. <laughs> um, I think we can best sum it up in this way: Wiggum forever, Elway's never. <laughs> Perfect. That's all I wanted to say. I just found like every time, you know, even in Blackberry earlier this year, and like he kind of works in Blackberry. Oh, because he's Matt scum. Johnson, he's scum yeah, in and, that. And and Matt Johnson's style is a little like uh, you know over the top. That um. I think he kind of works in that, but like, and in saw, like he's awful in the first saw movie and he's awful when he comes back, but like it fits those movies. Cause those movies are trashy and awful, but like, um, yeah. Anyways, I just, I wanted a special shout out to, I did not think, uh, Carrie L was, was good at this movie. It's also just um, disappointing thinking about like when we're introduced to him with the community, all the other actors in that scene that could have had that role. You know, Rob like that, Delaney. <laughs> yeah. It, it, again, fast, right? With Hobbs and Shaw. So, yeah. you know, like it's it's interesting there where you have like a lot of people that, you know, are 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 I really think good just actors. The state of you know blockbuster filmmaking. It's the same kind of group of actors that are all trading off franchises. But uh okay, let's get into yeah. Uh I already brought up how I, I did not love Ilsa. Faust Il- Faust in this movie or not nothing against Rebecca Ferguson or the character even because I really love the character and I and she was so amazing in the last in, in introduced in Rogue Nation and in Fallout that I just I felt like you know she's just so underused in this movie and then kind of fridged and I just don't I I just don't literally she's the- she's now her her body's in a fridge probably, yeah so. exactly yeah that's what I mean by like I just I I feel like I'm fine with killing off main characters. I'm, I'm fine with it. You know, I'm, I'm not have any sense of like, well, no, I have an attachment to this character. You can't kill them off or you can't make Luke a grumpy old man or, or any of this shit. Like it's, (laughs) you can't throw his saber away. I was like, it's, it's their character, right? Like it's not mine. So I I'm open to whatever they do with it. I just feel like she's done a little bit dirty in the movie. And I just feel like, uh, unnecessary and just underused i don't know but no i i i think you're uh, i think that's a fair criticism because she was such an important aspect of those last couple of movies and made such an indelible mark on the franchise as ilsa and she is such an opera sequence in the rogue nation in in rogue nation yeah yeah good man she and she's just like an amazing presence like like i I think like she's one of those actors that just like has something kind of that's both sinister but seductive but then also like she she has her own way of thinking and like you could just follow her character as much as you could follow ethan or anybody else but i think a big problem with this movie as well and why like i felt similar to how you do is that in these movies, they are also setting up something that doesn't work, which is a relationship, a romantic relationship between Ethan and Ilsa. And with that, 
you know, I think we've talked about this before with even like Top Gun Maverick, but Tom Cruise doesn't really have any chemistry with any of the leading ladies in any of these yeah. movies. Or And that's why Mission Impossible 3 doesn't work for me because I don't buy into the Michelle Monaghan. See, the um, Monaghan Tom, stuff is the only one that I buy I, into. I don't. I don't. Like, I think there's no chemistry. There's no love there. And I think the other problem with that movie and with these films in general, these characters don't have any lives outside of the action. They, I don't no. really care about their you know, their, their exterior lives, their, their nine At this point, they don't have any. And that's why I like that about fallout about rogue nation. And this to a degree is that it's being kept within the lines of, you know, their, their, their job is their life because it's all they have to be now. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. But, but I do think like, again, it is weird as well, where you have like almost a little bit of like a, a romantic kind of, angle with even Haley Atwell yeah. that kind of feels a little all feels unnecessary icky, all the time right yeah. off-putting in that way and like it's like oh you're just trading one you know woman in for another and it's just like oh, come on guys like why can't it just all be platonic, platonic and about the action yeah. but you're also selling sex appeal but again Cruz doesn't have that you know but that's Schwarzenegger, Jackie Chan, Cruz great action stars they don't they're not good with the romantic aspect. They never will be. So why put it in, right? Exactly. But he's a producer. It says a Tom Cruise production at the yeah. beginning of the movie, right? So like I I think that's probably something he thinks he is a part of his allure and stuff like that too. But like he probably still envisions himself as this kind of like I I guess, you know, uh with sex appeal. But like I I don't see it either. Like again, the Michelle Monaghan one I guess I bought into because um I know you said you didn't care about their like nine to fives and stuff like that. But at that point we still had a little bit of Ethan's like, you know, personal life. And like, so building that up a little bit, even if it's just minorly built up into that movie and then the personal connection with that whole film and Philip Seymour Hoffman's character and stuff like that. Like I bought into that more or else I where this, I wish he just respected them as like equals, right? Like both Haley Atwell and Rebecca Ferguson's character and even Vanessa Kirby. It's not that he doesn't respect them as equals when it comes to their talent in spycraft or thievery or, or, or black market arms dealing. Um, like he, he respects them all, but there also is this kind of like, it's that thing now where this movie wants to be very modern, but retro, I guess too. But like, I'm like, bro, you don't need to hit on everyone either. Or you don't have to like kind of, or you don't have to make them fall for you. Yeah. And that's also on Christopher McQuarrie as much as it is on, on Tom Cruise. And I'm not someone like, I also to play the opposite side of it. Cause people, I think it's a conversation we're seeing a lot. Like I think sex and sex scenes and sensuality and, 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 uh, romantic stuff is all fair game in all of these movies, but you need to make sure that it one works and two serves the movie in some sort of way. Right. Where if it's just there and you're not adding to anything from it, like then why bother? Or if your leads don't have that chemistry or like we, again, going back to fast and furious, Vin Diesel and Tom Cruise, just like they're parallel lives. They're they're so (laughs) close to intersecting, but one Um, of them I think has a little bit better taste and people that are, I'm not saying that Justin, like when Justin Lin was working on those movies, like he's a talented guy, but there's something about the, the, the people that Cruz aligns himself with that. I think it's like, you know, you always want to put yourself in a, in a room with smart people because yeah. they make you look better than who 
who you are. But those yeah. those two those two careers are aren't like that far off. Two peas off. in a pod, man. Yeah. yeah, they're just they're like alternate universe twins or something. But like. yeah, Michelle Rodriguez and 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 yeah. Vin Diesel's characters in the Fast movies have, have no sexual yeah. chemistry. And then I think like even though. The Mission Impossible movies, I think, now rival the Bond films in terms of the action set pieces. The sensuality and sexuality in Bond movies now have become a little bit more progressive. And like, I look at a scene in, in Skyfall where Naomi Harris is shaving Daniel Craig's character. That is a very sexy, sensual moment. Not overtly like needs no. to be a sex scene, but it's still very sexy. Yeah. yeah, and like that has never. There's nothing in the Mission Impossible movies that are like that. I think they're mostly asexual, and and I mean, not to say that like the, the, the Rebecca Ferguson, you know, doing this sniping bit is amazing, but like, oh yeah. But in terms of like chemistry between leads, it's almost like okay, well, if you're gonna have, if you put this into the movie, why not have it? between new spies that you introduce into the franchise the entity came for us but we overcame it okay we're back i'm on a different camera i don't have headphones on now um uh we're like half an hour 45 minutes after we last got cut off because literally someone was listening eric and they tried to take us down both our computers froze and just completely crapped out like internets went down so Maybe the entity is listening, but we're back. Or Isai Morales. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> um, Nicholas Holt is taking revenge <laughs> on having to do. Uh, what did he do instead of this? Renfield. Oh, that's why. Wow. <laughs> Whatever. All right. Uh, <laughs> we, oh no, I think it was. I think it was um, uh, the show that he's on with. Uh, L fanning. I think that was the scheduling issue. Okay. That's probably uh, whatever we'll see. But, uh, we were talking about the women of mission impossible. We were wrapping all of that conversation up of how it hasn't really worked in, in the last couple of movies. Uh, I don't know where exactly we got cut off. I'm sure I'll, I'll chop it up at some point and put a technical difficulty or maybe just a monologue from the entity. Um, but you wanted to finish with a, a mission impossible ranking and then we'll kind of wrap this up. I think people got a good handle on our feelings over the last hour or so so we can start to wrap everything up here. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've alluded to it throughout this. I don't know if I gave explicitly my ranking. I think we both maybe probably posted it on Twitter. Um, but my original tweet still stands after seeing this movie. Still had a good time with it. I had many criticisms, as you heard, but I still overall, even with those criticisms, still really enjoyed the movie and still really enjoyed the Mission Impossible franchise as a whole. Like, I think it's one of my favorite action franchises uh, if not the top action franchise right now. Um, and I think I like every movie except for the second one to like a certain extent. Like I think even the second one, like I would go, I wouldn't skip it on a rewatch. I would still watch it because it's eccentric and sort of strange and of its time and very John Woo in the worst ways and some John Woo in the good ways. But like, um, so my ranking fully goes, uh, number one, Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, number I gotta actually pull up my ranking. Number two, I have Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Uh, number three, I have Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, or did I have three above that? I think I had three Mission Impossible three, then four Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, then five Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One then six mission impossible and then seven uh mission impossible two 
uh, I believe is my ranking off memory. I haven't gone back and looked, but I think I, I think any given day I could probably switch three and, and, um, uh, four, four, uh, no three and four or even, um, rogue nation, rogue nation. Like those three, I think like, I think fallout is my clear number one and mission impossible two is my clear number seven but and some then, of these are interchangeable then. yeah all of those ones in between i feel like could switch around but i do have a soft spot for when the franchise was kind of picking different directors each movie and each diff in each movie had its different flavor so i have my macquarie movie with fallout like which i think is his pinnacle of mission impossible with that i i love brad bird's ghost protocol because that really felt like taking the franchise to the next level like those imax sequences with the burj khalifa and like the desert sequences and like everything the hallway sequence and the tech and gadgetry in that movie i think is amazing um just brad bird coming and doing a live action film like i thought that was like uh awesome and then obviously a soft spot for jj abrams and mission impossible 3 and philip seymour hoffman so then you get into the secondary macquarie for me which rogue nation is is, is amazing and obviously was macquarie's you know kickoff to this franchise and i think it's really really good um and then you have uh, this movie, which I feel like is still really enjoyable. And I still think I like it more than that first movie because just modern Mission Impossible is more my vibe than original Mission Impossible, which De Palma. But that movie is obviously a classic. I still think it holds up uh, still very much of its time, but still iconic. Um, uh, we mentioned some of the villains and the imagery in that movie still stands out and uh, and then Mission Impossible 2, like I mentioned with the John Woo stuff, is just kind of um, a little all over the place, but still overly like, I think still unique enough and of its time enough with the motorcycle sequences and the leather jackets and the slow motion double gun shooting and the doves and everything. And like, I still think it's worthwhile, even if um, it's very silly in a bad way and, and, and but I would still rewatch it. So I think that's saying something. So overall amazing franchise that's my ranking yeah mine's actually not too far off from yours um mission impossible fallout is my number one mission impossible ghost protocol is my number two mission impossible rogue nations my number three number four is dead reckoning part one uh number five is mission impossible number six is mission impossible three and at number seven mission impossible two um two it's it's easy to shit on but like i remember watching that in the theater and thinking to myself Man, this is just not only the worst parts of John Woo, who is, I mean, like hard boiled, one of the greatest action movies of all time, but it's also the worst elements of ripping off The Matrix, where it felt like after the success of yeah. that film, every movie was doing not only the slow mo thing, but you mentioned, you know, dressing up in leather and even borrowing from people like Ridley Scott and Tony Scott with some of the more uh, worldly music cues and kind of like just, it's very over the top and silly, even though uh, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's gotten a little bit of a reappraisal and some people I think who maybe didn't grow up at the time when it was released, who are growing up now or in their early twenties or even mid to late twenties, maybe appreciate it more than we do because they just, they weren't with it at that time. So maybe there, there's something there where like the nostalgia is, is different for us 
Right. Or there nostalgia is no nostalgia. In a negative way for yeah. us instead of it just taking for it. And maybe a nostalgia, not even nostalgia, but I, I can see people going back and like it is absurd and it is over the top, just like the modern ones are, but like in a very different, very you know, early 2000s, late 90s, like, yeah, early 2000s, because because even though again, like the romance in that with 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 Tom Cruise and Tanny Newton doesn't work at all. Um, It's it's the film that feels the closest to being a parody of itself, like it's going into that. And and that's also maybe another reason why, because it was coming out like, just after not only the Matrix, but with the Austin Powers movies, you know, right. like there was this thing where the parody of it all was kind of coming into Tom play Cruise in the third one in gold member, right? Yeah. Austin Powers like, yeah. So I, I think again, I think most people fallout and MI two are those kind of bookends. And then everything in between is kind of like, I think no matter what order you have those movies, you're not wrong. Like, I don't think no. I would argue with anyone who like, I would maybe argue, how do you not have followed at number one or, or am I two at, 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 but even you putting three, like f- lower down and I have three further up, like all of those movies are still, I think, enjoyable at least like, um, at minimum and very good at best, um, and amazing even then, but like, um, yeah, it's just a a very consistent kind of franchise. And I don't know if McCory and maybe Tom Cruise just got used to him and he'll stick around because Tom Cruise did say he wants to keep making these movies until he's like 100. Um, well, it, he, like so, he was talking about like Harrison Ford, right? Like yeah. being in his 80s and still doing these films. And, you know, I, I don't know if Christopher McQuarrie will be along for the ride as a director and writer, you know. Love him. I hope he's not, though. Like I yeah. kind of hope that he finishes after Dead Reckoning part too and then i'm fine with crew staying on and i even liked what they were trying to do with jeremy renner even though it didn't really stick with um, that he was going to take the reins and kind of yeah the, the, the rainer <laughs> i'm sure there will be someone who takes over and continues the mission impossible movies right and and they'll stick with that like someone who wants to do death i don't know if there'll be anyone like tom cruise again but um, I'd be totally okay with um with someone taking over and and continuing the franchise. Not Jeremy Renner at this point, but like, um, when Renner was going to take over every franchise, he was going to take over Born and Miss- Mission Impossible. And, there, and, and then they were like, they stepped that back a little bit. It's like, no, the 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 magic here is always Cruise because it was it was a feeling like, oh, Cruise would kind of go on to do something else and and pass the baton but in a weird way like top gun maverick you have this whole narrative of okay let's build up the next generation oh wait a second let's push them the the, the past generation is the only good generation and it kind of feels weird and 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 that's where that kind of regressiveness also comes into play and we can't like yeah so uh, you know i I'm more I'm fine with Cruz sticking around or if they give it to someone else, but I, I would like them to not. I love Christopher McQuarrie. You know, everyone go watch um, Live, Die, Repeat. Um, well, it's Doug Lyman. Yeah, I know. But he, but he wrote. Yeah, he wrote it. Yeah, yeah like yeah. I still think that I still I don't necessarily attribute that fully to Christopher McQuarrie. But one of the things just as a writer, I think he's also but Top Gun Maverick, too. Right. Like, yeah, I he think like he came well, and, and yeah. really kind of made it all about the nuts and bolts 
of what makes a good action movie. And obviously they are a great team. I would just, I, I liked the idea of passing it off to someone else and them putting their own stamp and feeling different, but still feeling like a mission impossible movie. Right? Yeah. Like I would say, you know, three feels like a JJ Abrams movie and two feels like a John Woo movie. And one feels like a Brian De Palma movie. And maybe we don't know what a Brad bird movie is, but it does feel like a Brad bird movie. I mean, I, that's diminishing his animated stuff and I shouldn't do that. But like, I mean, a live action Brad bird movie at that time, but like, but it has um, no limitations. Like I think one of the great sequences in, um, ghost protocol i mean obviously even like the lost stuff coming into that movie a little bit with josh holloway at the beginning of the movie jj was still a producer up to this one which we never touched on but i almost weirdly think like there's a polish to jj abrams and bad robot stuff that a slickness yeah a slickness that i like and i feel like um is a little bit missing from this movie and and i think that's sort of telling to me that this is my least favorite since he joined and it is the one that JJ is not involved in at all or bad robots not involved in at all. So uh, anyways, but you were talking about ghost protocol. Well, yeah, that, that the editing in these movies, I think is really important as well. And we didn't talk a lot about it, but the pacing of it, but the pacing specifically in the scene where you're cross cutting between two different sequences where you have, you know, Paula Patton and uh, Leah Seydoux kind of having their squaring off in a moment. And then you also are cutting with, you know, crews climbing on the side of a building. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, like those sequences, the way that like they complement each other, but also contrast of action. Right. And like different pains of things like, which in this movie has that we have Benji. We didn't talk about Benji much or, or Or Luther, um, Luther, but like, they're kind of like, they're fine in this movie. And I liked some of the stuff with Benji with the puzzle box and stuff like that. um, I did like that though. That actually hit me. It's more genuine than, than Vin Diesel saying family all the time. Yes, I agree. And I feel like, um, because they don't have anything. That's all he really has at this point. Like Benji probably lost his whole life. Luther lost his life. Like they all lost their life because they're in, you know, with Ethan on the, they've been disavowed 400 times. And like, yeah, I, I, each movie had its own kind of like flavor to it. And that's kind of what, not that I miss that the McQuarrie movies aren't necessarily blending in with one another because this one he is trying to do something different than what he did in the last couple but i liked this being that action franchise that a filmmaker could come into um and we we saw with you know brad bird and jj them being their first films basically and like live action for brad bird and jj just his first feature and like i kind of like that of someone putting like their own spin on it so i i would like them to go back to that uh but i'm very excited for dead reckoning part two um did they already shoot it or I think they shot part of it because yeah. people like Angela Bassett and uh, right. Holt McElhaney, um, there are photos of them and there are certain actors that are in the first movie, not dead reckoning part one, but the first film that are also coming back for uh, part two that Macquarie has shown photos of. But right. another thing as well, in terms of the directors, why not bring in a woman or a person yeah. of color or, or someone that's non-binary totally. because kind of, like, like, it's just been a bunch of white dudes, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, and, and maybe that will also challenge and change, you know, the perspective of things and, and play on new angles of material we've seen before, but in a fresh way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, that's going to wrap it up for us. Uh, we both gave the movie a four out of five. That was a while ago at this point, but I'll reiterate that still a super enjoyable, uh, 
summer blockbuster and like even with my nitpicky stuff or comparing it to the other franchise uh you know other moments in the franchise like i just think this is a great franchise so even though i'm saying hey it doesn't really work as well as these other ones still a super good movie i still think you should go see it in theaters see it in imax if you can you only have a short window to do that but uh, if you're listening to this you probably already did so so i hope you guys enjoyed it um let us know in the comments what you guys thought tweet at us thread us we're on threads now i still don't quite know how to um use it properly i'm like overthinking it where i'm like do i just use this like twitter or i'm like i i don't know if my reach is the same i need a follower feed all this kind of stuff but uh yeah follow me on all social media platforms including threads at matt Rohrbeck. can find more of my work around the internet um you should still see some of my stuff on family feud canada and other things like that uh tiff's coming up so uh keep it locked here we'll be back with the main show at some point doing tiff talk and probably a mental health talk and theme park talk and all this kind of other stuff, but we'll, we'll get there. We're just trying to build up reviews first. So, uh, but we really appreciate, uh, all of you kind of, um, welcoming us back as we got into the swing of things this summer. Yeah. And you can find more of my video reviews and interview with Henry Cherney, uh, on rogerstv.com and you can search cinema scene. And, uh, also if you, you guys have time to, you know, write a review on iTunes, that would be great. It always helps with Apple podcasts. Yes. Yes. Sorry. You're, you're this, living in the two thousands. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm living in the same time as mission impossible too. You know, just yeah. take a look around. You got one biscuit uh, <laughs> on the brain. That's what you're downloading on your Apple iTunes. <laughs> it's just one of those days, Matt. Um, so yeah, and, and you can follow me on all the social medias, including threads, which I have no idea really how to use, uh, at EM6211. Uh, and then on Letterboxd, untitled yeah. underscore movies. Um, we're also on threads and Instagram. I changed it. So it's untitled movie podcasts, all one, just so it's a little bit more clear for people on threads, and which threads and Instagram are so connected that you had to change it on both intertwined so, if you will yeah so i don't know if we'll change all of our handles and i know it's not the best to have different handles everywhere but uh untitled movie podcasts plural on threads and instagram and then untitled underscore movies uh everywhere else including letterboxd so um this was a long one but it's a it's a big old movie we'll be back with part two and we'll be back soon with more reviews we'll have reviews of uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer. Um, as those will probably come after those movies drop because I'm seeing them a uh, Barbenheimer uh, double feature next Thursday. So whether we get those on Friday or maybe we'll wait till the Monday, we'll see how everything goes. And if we record those over the weekend, uh, we'll also have Haunted Mansion, uh, Strays, uh, a couple other kind of stragglers throughout uh, the July and August before kind of, and we're credited for TIFF again. Yay. So uh, we're excited to be covering the festival once again. Um, until next time. This review will now self-destruct. It almost did. I was worried. <laughs> Bye, everyone.